0: This morning I want to continue to talk down the vein of faith and works. And I think this may be the last Sunday that we're going to go down this particular vein. But I want to talk about it today specifically in the church. I think it's important that we talk about the church. And I know that this is a type of a sermon, type of a message that can be somewhat confrontational maybe. And maybe get some people in trouble, namely me. Um, but I pray that you hear my heart and you pray, I pray that you hear my, the intention of what I believe God's word is saying as we talk about the church and the significance of the church. And we're going to get into some definitions and we're going to talk about some who, what, whys, and wheres of what the church is about and why the church is important. And um, I'm, I'm hoping that at the end of the service you'll still be my friend. And if not, God, be my friend because I'm speaking for Jesus here. So anyway, um, what is the church? Let's let's just kind of jump right into it, okay? What is the church? The church is comprised of Christian people that have come together for the specific purpose of being Christ-like in a group setting. That is a definition of what church is. Church is something that is really twofold. It is the church at large... It is the church of God that encompasses all the people in all the world that have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. That is the church. And then there is the church in Charlevoix, which is the community church. And then there is the church of this congregation, our gathering together. So I'm going to try to talk about the church and and, um, capture all of that in the next A few minutes that we have together here. But I like to look at definitions of what is the church. And I've talked to, or I've talked to, I've gone to the internet, and I've gone to Webster, and I've gone to a definition. And and this is what our society sees as definitions. Number one, it's a religious building. A building for public worship, especially in the Christian religion. It's also a religion's followers as a group, all the followers of a religion, especially the Christian religion, considered collectively. And it's a religious service, a religious service that takes place in a church. So that's what the definition, according to our society, but the one that really struck me as number one was that they refer, our society refers to church as a building. Let's go to the word and let's see what the word calls the church. If you go in and if you look in the, in the NIV at least, whenever you see the word church, it's always, it's always in the word of Ecclesia. And in the Strong's Concordance, the term, the word Ecclesia says this. It is, def- it is defined as a congregation, assembly, group of people gathered together. It can refer to the Old Testament assembly of believers, but usually to a Christian assembly A church as, here it is, twofold, as totality or all-encompassing or in a specific locale. But here's the thing I want, the most important, I think, sentence here, is that in the New Testament, a church is never a building or meeting place. The church is the people. It's like a family. Is a family defined by your home? your house, your building, or is your family wherever you are together? Yeah, and that's what church is. Church is not this building. It's not this facility. It's a place we meet, but it's not the church. The church is us. It's who we are. I have a short video I'd like to share right now that talks about the church a little bit. Larry, would would you play that, please?
1: What is the church? Is the church a building? Is the church a pastor? Or the staff? Is the church the music? The tradition? Or the ministries? These are all Good things, but they are not the church. Take them away, and the church is still here. Why? Because you are still here. The church is you. The church is you with a purpose. The church is you on a mission. The church is you with a plan, a simple plan, to plug into God at a weekend service, to charge up in a small group community, to live out using your gifts and passions, and to pass on your faith to those who do not know Christ. When you and I live like this, All the things we used to do in church become things we do as the church. God desires it. The world needs it. And we are called to be it. What is the church? The church is you.
0: Amen. Wasn't that nice? Who came up with the idea of church? Who came up with it? Now, I think we all know that the church's idea was the idea of Jesus. Let's read about it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 says this. Matthew, or Jesus, is talking here, and it says, I tell you that you, Peter, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It was Christ's idea to form the church. It wasn't the apostles' idea. They didn't come together and said, let's build a church. No, they were doing as Christ commanded them to do. It was Jesus' idea to come up with the church. And it was also his idea to use people in the church. So go to your little handout there. Who is the builder of the church? Jesus. Who's the rock that Jesus was going to build his church upon? Peter. Okay, he so said, Peter, on that rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. But does this mean that Peter is the only one responsible? Or can this be inferred to as Peter and others like him? In other words. I believe that Jesus was saying, I'm going to build my rock on the faith of a man like Peter. Not on Peter himself, because that would place Peter like a Christ. And Peter was just a man. He's not Saint Peter that never sinned. Peter, as we all know, Peter had lots of issues. But Jesus used the man regardless of his issues. And that gives me hope. That he can use me regardless of my issues. And that he can use you regardless of your issues. And then we can be the rock that Jesus builds his church upon. See, it's a, it's a cooperative effort between man and Jesus to build his church. And then here's the thing that I like, the, the question I like. Will the church be overcome? No. The gates of Hades or the gates of hell or the gates of death, Will not overcome the church. Who is the church? What is the church? It's not this building. This building will be overcome. This building will be destroyed at some point in time. These blocks will be laid one on another at some point in time. But we, as the church, as we remain in Christ, we will never be overcome. We will be eternal. So what does it mean for us as individual Christians to be part of a church? And, I, and let me just take a minute here to, to, to kind of diverge a little bit because as we've been talking about all service here, our Christian faith is very personal, very personal. The, the relationship that we have with Jesus is so personal, that's what makes it so awesome. That's what makes coming to a Bible-believing, Spirit-filled church so absolutely awesome because it's not about the formality of church. It's about the personal relationship of me interacting with Jesus and you interacting with him and then us getting our needs met together as Jesus interacts to each one of us personally. So if it is such a personal thing, if God is going to look at us on a, on a person-by-person basis at some point in time come judgment day, He's going to ask us the questions, and He's going to ask us, He's going to say, what did you know, and what did you do about my son Jesus? What did you do with Him? Did you accept Him? Did you receive Him? Did you live for Him? Or did you mock Him and live a life of insincerity in front of Him? Like Jackie's dream. It was a perfect dream, Jackie. What your dream was fed right, feeds right into what we're talking about this week, about us not paying attention in the the presence of Jesus about us playing games in his presence. And I like what you said about what would, what would we feel like if we walked into the presence of God and we saw him texting? Or we see him on Facebook not paying attention to us. But God, I have an urgent requirement. He said, oh, I'm busy right now. I'm texting somebody. How, do you, how would that make you feel? But yet we want God to answer our prayers in a heartbeat, but yet does he see us texting? Does he see us not putting him first? And yet, we want him to put us first? Come on. What are we doing here? Okay. Okay. See, you may not like me by the time this is over. See, what's going to happen on your personal day before the Lord is not going to be up for group discussion. This is not an opportunity for you to meet with and confer with your parents at this point in time. Mom, Dad, what do I do? Or husband, wife, what do I do? Or group of friends that that have we've been supporting each other all these times in our own little justifications. What do we do? No. See, when we get to before God, it's going to be just me and him. One on one. Man on man. Man on God. And he's going to look at me and he says, "Uh, I want to talk to you right now, Mike. I'm talking to you. What happened? What did you do? What did you do in my church? What did you do? So that's why I believe that even though that our personal relationship is so important and it's so private, at the same time, when we talk about the church, it's very public because we together are the church. See, Jesus is coming back for the church as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. Collectively, he's not coming back for individuals. He's not coming back for a billion individuals. He's coming back for a billion of people in his church. And then we as the church have to get ourselves white and clean without spot or wrinkle. As the church. Let me move on. Why did it come to be? Why did Jesus feel it necessary to tell his disciples and followers to get together together and meet on a regular basis? Why did, he, why did it come to be? Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 through 25 tells us this. And it's in your notes there. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. All right, now remember that we're defined as God's church as people, not... Facilities, not four walls, or not a denomination. We're instructed to not forsake meeting together. Someplace, someplace, in a home, in a church building, in a restaurant, breaking bread with somebody. See, the church is more than just coming together on Sunday mornings and meeting. It's it's everything in our life. Our our whole weekly experience should be about building the church of God. So why then does Jesus want that to happen? Could it be, go back to your notes, could the why be so that one person can encourage the other person and spur him on to do love and good works towards each other? Could, could that be possibly why God Jesus is, has instructed the church to come into being? Because we're to encourage each other and love each other and encourage each other to do good works? See, Solomon understood the need for people in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Listen closely because you've got some blanks to fill in here. And you're going to have to listen. Solomon says this Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, that's a key word, two can defend themselves. That's a key word. Defend. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So here is the why. Because we're to come together to support each other. We're to come together to, to keep each other warm in times of coldness. Strengthen us in times of weakness. To come together to support each other. What a great word picture this is that what a healthy church might look like. When and where did the church come to be? The church began primarily on the day of Pentecost. That's really the first time we see this coming together. Jesus was, was, not, was prior to the church. When Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, that's really when the church in the New Testament church began. Jesus told his disciples and closest followers to go and tarry in an upper room in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would be released on them. And then after that initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the church really be- began its definition and its purpose was defined. Acts chapter 2 Verses 42 through 47, and and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to fellowship and to, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's the beginning of the church. You see how they work together? And what's, what, what this looks like is a bunch of people, kind of like what we are, a bunch of people here that don't really have anything in common, other than the fact is that we love Jesus. See, we come from different walks of life. I'm different. You're different. Uh, I'm not going to go down that one. But we're all different. We're all unique. The thing that brings us together in our, in our commonality is Jesus, and that's what makes the church so unique we 're not coming in as a country club we 're coming in as unique people. I was talking to someone i can 't remember who I mean, but Jason somebody told me this week we were talking about this about how the difference is is that in a country club setting, when you come in to join a Exclusive golf course or a country club, they're interviewing you to keep the bad people out. They just want the people that have money. They want the people that look like them. They want the people that dress like them. They want the people that are going to give their club a good name and a good reputation. The church is just the opposite. If the church is healthy, if the church is doing what Jesus is asking it to do, he's saying, You bring in the weak. You bring in the people that aren't like you. You bring in the poor and the needy and those that need help. Bring them in to the storehouse so that we can heal them, that we can disciple them, that we can work with them, that we can love them. We don't care. The church doesn't care about reputation. The church shouldn't care about what we look like. The church shouldn't care about, oh, we want to have the nicer cars in our parking lot. No, the church said, we we want the sick. We want the weak. We want those that are afflicted. We want to bring God's touch into their lives. We want the power of Jesus to be manifested in our church, in our weakness. Let Him become strong. That's what the church is about. That's what we should be doing, and that's how we should be looking for those and open to those that are not like us. That's why we're not a country club. Because we want everyone. To come into our church. What is the church supposed to be today? What is it supposed to be? Well, today I want to kind of talk a little bit about the context. I want to bring it down to our local body here at Center Point Assembly because what are we supposed to be? What are we supposed to be? I believe that God has a plan for every local body of believers that He allows to happen. There's multiple groups of people meeting even at this day in this town in different churches. Plans for each one of them, all right? Ultimately, we're all to glorify Jesus. But yet our society society has an aversion about church and about making church a primary focal point in people's lives, doesn't it? I mean, people will say they go to church. In fact, let me tell you a little fact. Based on comparisons between the General Social Survey and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics American Time Use Survey, big words, which ask the question, respectively, what Americans generally spend their time doing and what Americans actually spent their time doing on a specific day. In other words, what do you say you do and what do you really do? (laughs) There's a difference there, isn't there? Many Americans exaggerate their church attendance. About 35 to 40 percent claim to attend church but only 25% actually do. So obviously there is a there is a game to be played. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Oh yeah, I attend church. But yet, many of us are willing to lie about it. Many of us are willing to say I do it, but I don't. Whoa, what kind of a Christian life is that? What kind of a reception are you going to have on the judgment day when you when, when you play that game? Let me ask you, let me ask some questions. These are some tough questions I want to ask right now. Then we're going to talk about it and and we're going to work through these questions. But let me ask the questions. Okay? Can church attendance, regular church attendance? Now I understand. Let me put the caveat here. I understand that there are times when people just can't be in church. I understand that. I understand there are jobs, there are requirements, there's travel requirements. I understand there are those. But I also understand that there are lots of times that we have when we make choices to do what we do or not do. All right. So I want to, I'm talking about the times here that we have choices to make, not that we don't have the choice. Let me ask the question. Can church attendance be an indicator of a person's spiritual heart condition? Can church attendance be an indicator? I hear yes, and I hear no. Does a person's attitude toward regular church attendance give a physical indicator of their true love for Jesus? Should I walk out now, or should I could I just stop? Or let me ask you the question: Do you want a pastor that will just tell you what you want to hear, or do you want a pastor that'll tell you what he's, the Lord's laid on his heart? And I'm not offending, I mean, if I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing stones, believe me. No pun intended, stones, people. i, I just speaking, I believe what the Lord has laid in my heart, okay? All right, now I'm going to get to the good stuff. But, but let me ask the question. If, do, let me ask this other question. Do we believe that God cares if we're in church on a regular basis or not? Do you believe that God cares if you're in church on a regular basis or not? Hang on. Yeah? Okay, hang on. I'm going to get there. Hang on. I'm, I'm trying to do a particular thing here, and I might rustle some feathers a little bit, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with ruffling feathers because I think there's a point here. And, and what I'm looking at is maybe what we should look at the terminology we're using here rather than saying church attendance because church attendance is an offensive word. I understand that. Church attendance is kind of formal, and, and it's kind of like you need a check mark. Kind of like going to school and and having to you know go to the principal's office get a tardy excuse for those that are late. Okay? We're not talking that. So let's let's change the word attendance to to church involvement, church participation, church immersion, church interest, church what? Church encouragement, church contribution, church sharing, church input, church partaking. I mean, let's use the words that we're trying to get to here. It's not about coming and filling a church seat. It's about coming in and being part of the church that grows godly people. However that looks. Wherever that looks. Okay? So, I'm, I'm talking about being involved in your local church. I'm not necessarily talking about just coming in on Sunday mornings and sitting in a chair. See, let's look at how Christ looks at the church and how he sees it functioning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, and we're not going to read all those verses today, but I'm going to read the first one and the last one. Verse 12 says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. What you talked about, Kathleen, you read it today. Then the last thing, it says, now the last... Verse here, verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay? So God, as is, Jesus, is, is, is showing us the body, of, the body of Christ as a body, as a physical body, with, with fingers and toes and arms and legs and ears and eyes and, and all these different things, and how we all have a function in the church, whether big or small. It doesn't make any difference. You have a function, and when you don't do your function, the body suffers. We also see the body of believers referenced as the family of believers in numerous passages in Scripture. All right? God's Word compares the church as a, fam- as a body with many parts, if you go to your, your notes, and He also sees the body of believers as a family of believers. Two different analogies that we both can associate with. That's what I like about the way, God, the way Jesus so many orchestrates things in His Word, is that He gives us analogies we can understand. Okay, I can understand a body, I can understand a family. We're we're also called and we're called brothers of Christ, joint heirs with Christ. Romans chapter eight, verses fourteen through seventeen. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So according to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 17, God does what? According to our notes, God adopts us into his family as we call him Abba Father. And as a result, we are co-heirs with Christ, meaning we are children of God. Okay, so now we see the family happening here. And it's so interesting to note that, that in the family setting, let's look at our society for a minute. Let, let's see how this analogy plays out and how the enemy, the strategy of the enemy, would come in to destroy the church. Remember, everything God, everything Jesus anoints and, and appoints, the devil is opposes. Everything. He doesn't want anything that God appoints to succeed. All right, so now that we have this analogy of the family, let's look at our society Let's look at what the devil is doing to our society and our families. The, devil is, the devil's strategy is to dis- destroy from within. Look at how the family is being persecuted. Look at how the family is being blown apart. Look at how gay marriages and, and those that, have, that are, are, are disassembling the nuclear family unit and how that's being destroyed. And as that's destroyed, our country will be destroyed. Right? So if that's the enemy's strategy to destroy the family physically, he takes the same strategy to destroy the family of God. If he can get in and destroy the family unity of a church as a family, it's the same strategy. Why don't we understand this? It's time for us to wake up and see who our adversary is and see what his strategies are so that we can compete and and put away his strategies, and win the, win the battle. When we understand that the reason the devil wants to keep you out of church participation, it's because it's his strategy to destroy the local church. And if he destroys the local church, he'll destroy the kingdom of God. It's not about this building. It's about the local church as people. Our society has been duped. We have been duped by the subtle attacks of the enemy to come in and to destroy our families and to destroy our churches. Now, let me ask another important question. Does faithful church attendance guarantee a person is pleasing to God and assured heaven as their eternal home? Okay, good. No, so I'm not going down that path either. I'm not going down the path that you have to be in church every Sunday or you're going to hell. Thank goodness. Now you like me again, don't you? Because simply attending a church service is meaningless. It's no, There's no more meaning to that than, than a single snowflake in a blizzard, a single grain of sand on the seashore, a single drop of water in Lake Michigan. I mean, if all your purpose is, is to come in and fill a church pew, if that's all your purpose is, that's meaningless. As good as it is, it's meaningless if that's all you're doing. That's why we get away from the word church attendance to church participation. Church passion. Church attention. Church interest. Let's go back to the foundational teaching of God's Word and and see God's Word said, as we already read in Hebrews, that that we are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Now let me ask some other questions. Who benefits or who wins when a person is regular and consistent in church participation? Who wins? Who benefits? The person benefits. All right. Their church family benefits. The Others in the church, their their own family, their personal family benefits. Others in the church benefit. The community benefits. Christ is glorified by the heart of commitment and sacrifice. Everyone benefits when we are faithful in supporting our local church. Now, That is participation when you have the choice to make. If you're home sleeping and not wanting to go to church, who loses? Who loses when a person doesn't actively be a part of their local church on a regular basis? Who loses? The person loses. Their family loses. Others in the church lose. The community loses. The kingdom of God loses by hearts of compromise and selfishness and self-indulgence that otherwise could have been a productive worker in the kingdom of God. Now let me ask you, who wins when a person willingly chooses to refuse to make a local church a meaningful part of their daily life? Who wins? Let me give you, it's one person, it's one name. The devil. Satan wins when we willfully choose not to make our local church a priority. Everyone loses, Satan wins. Who are you out to win for? Who are you out to please? See, here, here it really comes down to, to this. Whenever we can, if we can grasp that living a true Christ-like life is never. Let me use the word, it's a very severe word, never about me as an individual. Was, was Jesus' life like that? Did Jesus ever do anything to please Jesus? Or was he always doing things to please his Father, who then pleased people? So if Christ didn't live for himself or his feelings or his likes or his dislikes, if he lived to fulfill the will of his Father, which was to serve people, If we're going to be Christ-like, if we're going to be called a Christian, what are we supposed to be living like? Where do we find then that I can then self-indulge myself and be selfish, thinking that I'm pleasing the Father, when Jesus never did that? Still my friend? So if we're really going to be called an active Christ follower, then we need to think the way Jesus thought. Take up your cross. Follow me. Now some might say, Mike, you're really being old-fashioned here, and you're really getting stiffer on the collar because you're really getting to the point now of, of trying to regulate my life and trying to manipulate me. No, I'm not trying to manipulate you. No, I'm not trying to regulate your life. I'm preaching God's Word because I'm trying to ask the question here. As what is said back in Hebrews... He says, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Where do we read anywhere in the Scripture that says that the closer we get to the end times, that church is less important? Where do we see anything in there that says we can take a break from church in the Bible? And we're a Bible-preaching, believing church. We're not a feel-good, I'm going to preach to make a happy church. I love you. I really do. And that's why I'm preaching this way. See, I see Scripture telling us that we are to be more watchful and we're to be more on guard, that we aren't going to be caught unaware and that many will, so many won't lose out on their salvation. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, verses 10 through 14. It says, At that time, which is this time, Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most, not many, most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now, some will say, well, that's not talking about church, Mike. And I would say, yeah, it is. Because who's the church? We, people, are the church. So we are to preach the gospel. The church needs to step up and preach the gospel. And the closer we get to the end of time, the more difficult it will be for the Christian to maintain their belief and the passion for Christ, especially if they stay on their own. If you isolate yourself from the body of local believers, you are ripe for the picking. Because the enemy will eat your lunch. There was one man that I knew that could stand alone against the enemy, and that was Jesus. And he did that by the word of God. He didn't do that on his own. He did that because he said it is written. Obviously, he knew the scriptures. He knew God's word, and he didn't say Jesus. He didn't tell the devil, "I rebuke you in my name." He said, "It is written. My Father in heaven says this." Therefore, we need to be in that same persuasion, and by us. By us thinking that we can do this on our own, it's a subtly duping of the enemy to come into your life to say you can live a Christian life without church. not, Not without this building, without people. Without coming together in a group of people. And so we come together in a local church, a local building. Is that wrong? Is it wrong to come together on Sunday mornings to be fed? No, it's not. The enemy is subtly trying to deceive and bring destruction in our church and in our lives. Now, what are we to do about it? What are we to do about it here? Let's spend some time this morning describing what we think the church that we want to be a part of should be like. Okay? We've talked in the past about working the gardens of our life, the micro gardens and the macro gardens. Okay? This is time about working the garden of our community, the garden of our church. Larry, would you throw up that list? What I'd like to do right now is I would like us to describe on the left-hand column what do you want your church, what do you want us to be like? Shout out the answers. Larry's going to list them down. What do you want the church to be like? What do you want it to be? Spirit-filled. Fast, Larry. Word taught. Bible believing. Okay, word. There you go. Word taught. This is going to be fun for Larry. What's that? Okay, no respecter of persons. Authentic. I love that word. Authentic, soul-winning, loving, compassionate, challenging. How old, oh, Jason? I love you, man. Challenging. He's brown nosing now. I'll buy coffee this week. Busy about our father's building uh, business. Hi, Tom. Busy about our, our, our father's business. We're going to lose the list here. Relevant. Relevant. How about, I like the word consistent. That was one of my words. Seven days a week. Seven twenty-four. there you go. 7-24, Larry, that'll, there you go. 24-7, there you go. Awesome. Okay, and I think we got a pretty good list here. All right, now let's go to the right side. What, what do you not want your church to be? Uh, fake. It's easier to spell than hypocritical, but we know what it means. Fake, which means. Do you want to spell hypocritical? Let's put fake. Okay. No dress code. Good. I'm getting. I'm. I'm no. Well, let's have clothes. All right. Well, F a k e. There you go. What else don't you want your church to be? We're still on fake. What else do you not want your church to be? Okay. We don't want it to be inward focused. Okay. All right. Well, we, we what? Well, that's what we want it to be. Yeah, oh, jeez. Tony, you better go to a different church. If you don't want our church to be welcoming, you better go to another church. <laughs> We, we don't want our church to be cold. We don't want our church to be boring. Let me help you out here. We don't want our church to be dead. We don't want our church to be inconsistent. Yeah, good. Blind is good. We don't want our church to be, we don't want our church to be with bad coffee. <laughs> All right. I think the list could go on and on and on. But we do we don't want our church to be now. This is this is where the challenge comes. Andrea, what Andrea? Like a town hall meeting. Okay, we don't want our church to be based on a compromise. How's that? That's what town hall meetings are—looking for the compromise. Or political. Okay. All right. Now, everybody. Now. Everybody, look at the lists, okay? Now, if you would, everybody close your eyes. All right? Now, I want you to do inward, I want to do a little inward evaluation now. All right? Based upon your attitude right now, take a snapshot. Take upon, based upon your attitude, take, a, uh, based upon your track record, take, a, a based upon what you consider your purpose to be right now. If everyone was like you, what would the church look like? Which list would you line up on? Would you line up on the what do you want your church to be or what you don't want your church to be list? See, this is where it's all about people now. What we're saying is that if everybody was like you, would it be good or bad? If everybody, well, yeah, I mean, but I'm, I'm just thinking about, see, if everybody, if everybody took my attitude towards church attendance, for example, if everybody took my attitude towards Bible study, that I shouldn't be with Bible studies, if everybody took my, my attitude towards being inwardly focused, if, if see, see, if everybody was like me, would the church be good or would the church be bad? Out of balance. The whole purpose of this, you can open your eyes, the whole purpose of this is to try to get us to understand that we are the church. And as we are, the church is. What You are what you eat. You are as what the, you, the church becomes what you are. What I am. And, and, and how sad it would be if I want the church to be different than what I am. If I want the church to be consistent, and I'm not consistent. If I want the church to be compassionate, and I'm not compassionate. If I want the church to be soul winning, and I don't care about people. If I want the church to be a respe- no respect of persons, but yet I judge people when they walk in be- based on what they look like. You see that? That's what I'm going for. If you want the church to be what you want it to be, then you need to be the way you need it to be. Okay? It comes here. It starts at home. It starts with me. It starts with you. I'm finally concluding. Jackie, would you come, please? Uh, If we understand that the church is not the building, then the church is us. What we are like is what makes up the church. The question is are we pleasing to the Lord? If we're pleasing, our church won't be pleasing to the Lord unless we're pleasing to the Lord. He's not going to look down upon our church, our little assembly here, and be pleased with us if we personally aren't being pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians chapter five twenty-seven says he's coming back for a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We put it up there. We want to be the church 24-7. We want to live our lives in a daily perspective. Are we keeping our place in the church and our participation in the church as a top priority? Or are we being deceptive and hollow in our philosophies, thinking that I can make church whatever I want to make it and it still be good? No, it's only good when I follow Jesus. Mark 12:30 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. See, that's a big challenge. A writer I read said this, named Matt Costella. He said, Christians are often putting family time and family activities before the things of the Lord. Things such as church attendance or participation or Bible study. Yes, Satan can even use the family, as important as it is, to keep the saint from faithfully following the Savior. We must be careful not to fall prey to family idolatry. Rather, we must love God above all else. There's been a conception, there's been an issue, there's, and I know it, I've fallen into it as well, that Sundays are family days. My family is more important. I'm, therefore, I work hard all week, so I'm going to make family my priority on Sunday. You know, family's good. I'm not opposed to family. But you know what? When I put family in front of Jesus, who's at the center point of your life? Who's at the center point? We, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, that includes family time, will be given unto you. What more can we say for us to put Christ, the body of believers, the church, the church, our participation in the church, our involvement, our immersion. Use any words you want to say to replace attendance, but make that your priority. And as you make that priority in your life, I will guarantee fullness. I'm not guaranteeing prosperity. I'm not guaranteeing no problems. I'm not guaranteeing you a life of no headaches, no stress. I'm guaranteeing you fullness of Christ. The fullness of Christ will allow you to get through those headaches. It will allow you to get through those financial pressures. It will allow you to get through those sick times. But when I put Christ first, meaning that I put his family first, meaning when I put Abba Father first, and I'm going to participate because I know that when I'm not in my body of believers, somebody's suffering because I'm not there. The person sitting next to me is suffering because I'm not there supporting them. Father, forgive me. Oh, Regular church participation is a matter of rearranging your schedule in life. This may include your work schedule, your family schedule, your social schedule, and activity schedule in order to be obedient to God's schedule. There is always time to do God's will. And when I place my urgencies over bible study time to get together that i can feed into somebody else's life when i can be a teachable person when i place my feelings my desires over that can i tell you lovingly that you're not pleasing to the lord you're not pleasing to god when you choose not to be our participant in his body and the more we do this, the more outwardly focused we can be. The stronger we become inwardly, the more stronger we can be outwardly. I love what different things people are doing. I love the way God is changing this church. I love the way he's getting our eyes outside of this church. I love the how we're getting involved with different things that we've never been involved with before. I love that because that's teaching me how to get out into the church of God, into the community. But at the same time, I don't want that to be the distraction that keeps me from looking inwardly because people need us here. I need you. You need me. And the only way we get that is that we come together. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just surrender our lives to you now. Father, I just am praying that you would bring this message home. Lord, that you would bring every point that was made and maybe even the ones that weren't made that were between the lines. I pray, God, that you would bring those, those points home to us, that, that we would not be offended, but, Lord, we would be encouraged and challenged by the word of God that says, do not forsake the meeting of together, even more so until the day of the Lord. And here is the whole fact. We don't know when that day is. The day of the Lord is my personal rapture, my death. I have no idea when that's going to happen. Therefore, I can't take anything for granted. So, Lord, I pray that we would be challenged, Father, by your word, by your love, by your mercy, by your compassion, by your grace. No legalism here. No, no boundaries put on by mankind but that we're serving you, God, with everything that we have. We're loving you with everything that we have. We're completely obedient to you. Your word says, if you love me, obey me. We're obeying you, Jesus, because we love you. Thank you, Jesus. My Father, go with us today. Would we'll that sing the song that Jackie's playing? And we'll make this our benediction today. And, and I pray that you love me. I pray that, we, uh, that we're challenged today and that we're going to we're work together to build the kingdom of God. Amen. 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 Jackie, let's sing.